No matter what comes our way, good or bad, we will bless his name and give all the glory to God. So let's praise him now in song.
is a healer and his love is deeper than the sea and his mercy is unfailing and his arms a fortress for the weak let faith arise
in the middle of the craziness, God, let, let our eyes be opened to who you are and to your faithfulness. Let us not forget the miracle of the fishes and the loaves and the manna. Thank you, God. We worship and bless you this morning. Amen. All right. <laughs> you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. That's all right. Hey, um, I am so grateful to get to gather with you this morning. For those of you who are joining us online, I'm really grateful that you're with us. And over the course of this last year, one of the things that we have not had the opportunity to do is to hear from some of our missionaries. We have a handful of missionaries, even as we focus in on what's going on in Costa Mesa and even get to a chance to support many of the men and women who have said yes to pouring themselves into loving this area, we also have some missionaries that are really focused more globally. And this morning, I just wanted to give you a moment to, to introduce you to one of our missionary couples that we get to support on a monthly basis. So I'm going to invite Craig and Sarah Marshall to come on forward right now. Craig and Sarah just celebrated their 38th anniversary yesterday, which is kind of fun. That's... Uh, that's something worth celebrating right there, but they're with Wycliffe Bible uh, Translators, and I just want to give them an opportunity to share with you what they've been up to, how you guys have, you and your ministry has kind of weathered this COVID season, and most specifically how we can be praying for you, so. What a treat to be with you all this morning in person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, have, we are continuing to do our work um, with translation teams in Southeast Asia virtually and we are so grateful for the internet that things are in place that we are able to keep working mm -hmm. we have weird hours and we're on a screen a lot but we're so thankful for god's provision and for so many of for all of you for praying and for partnering with us in this work it's been a crazy year for everybody i want to give kudos to eric for his memes on facebook <laughs> <laughs> Uh, seriously, 2020, I got through it with Jesus and memes, you know. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm grateful for some levity there, you know. Uh, it's been a crazy season, but it's been good as we remember God's faithfulness and to see glimmers of that here and there. And one of the things with the internet, we were able to attend a missions conference recently via the internet because they couldn't meet in person. 
And we heard about a group of believers in the country we serve of these new believers in a Muslim background area that, um, some, you know, a lot of people coming to faith. And not just that, but getting a real heart to go out and tell others that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, all of us. Mm. And what was really cool was hearing about this particular group. If you want to hear about it personally, come talk to me afterwards. Um, they... I, I had the opportunity in 2008 to work with a translation team helping this team do the book of Genesis. And now these new believers, it was really risky at that point. We met in a hotel room, like way in the back, and it was, it was a safety was a real concern. And yet now there's all these believers, and they have a real heart to make disciples of others. It's just so cool to be a part of what God is doing in our world. Mm. Yeah, again, thank you, too, for Lighthouse. It's been, it's been great having you guys um, behind us. We normally spend five to six months of the year in uh, the country that we work in. Um, we haven't been able to get permission to live there full-time for the last 10 years, but we've been asked to go back and live there for two years. God needs to move some mountains um, to be able to get a visa to live and work there. But we put that in his hands. Um, the team that has been in leadership in uh, the provincial capital, they are leaving the field, and we're trying to, we, we want to see our national partner, um, the main church we're working with, completely take over the work, and we're, we've been asked to help them transition mm -hmm. to full, uh, full national leadership in that. So some things you can be praying for, um, this is kind of big and crazy. We have a, you know, family, we have grandkids, one's due in a week, you know. Um, so this is kind of a big thing, but even more, <laughs> we need visas. There are no visas for people our age, um, and the country's completely closed right now. So um, we need God to move some mountains, and we need somebody to, that we could trust to rent our house and somewhere to live on the other end. So those are some big ones. Yeah, so why don't you come right here? <laughs> I'd love to invite you, whether you're at home or whether you're in here, to just extend a hand towards Craig and Sarah. I know that you've just shared a couple of the, the big uh, asks, and our Father is well aware of all of them. And so, Father God, we thank you for Craig and Sarah. We thank you for their willingness to say yes to being used by you, that they don't just uh, focus on kind of caring for their family or, or making a comfortable life, but they are willing to say, help yourself to my life. Take us where you want us. Use us to be able to give your word to those who don't have it in their language so that they can know you more. Because at the end of the day, it's not about handing them a Bible. It's about being able to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And that Bible is one of the primary ways that you are using to unlock doors and, and, and transform the trajectory of people's lives. And so, Father, you know the big rocks in the way of visa in this country that is currently closed due to COVID. Uh, a, a, a hesitancy even to speak the country's name because of the resistance there. We, we reflect as people who aren't really aware of or comfortable with persecution, the fact that persecution is alive and well in this world. And I thank you for this team who are willing to face that with eyes wide open and say, we're willing to follow you into that anyway. So if you want them to go, I pray that you would open the door. If you want them to continue to minister through the internet, 
I pray that you would make that time incredibly fruitful. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would glorify the work that you have given them to do and that you would raise others up to help carry the weight of it as well. So at the end of the day, it's not them being able to take credit for it, but you taking credit for it. We pray for your provision. A house, renters on this end, open doors and a flight, and a team that can help support them in that process. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. And we also just, as, as we celebrate 38 years, also bless the next decades of their marriage for as long as you give them to be on this planet. We pray that you would pour into it and that they would be fruitful and that they would be a team together. Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Derek. Love you. We are going to make an effort to, over the course of this year, continue to introduce you to our missionary partners. We're really grateful for them. Uh, one of them actually happens to be Bill Nelson, who uh, is one of our elders and, and helps lead worship, and he oversees a ministry called Fresh Beginnings. I, we've been remiss in letting you guys know about that, because that's one of the easiest opportunities for you to get involved in. So if you're interested in serving in some capacity, man, Bill, where are you at? There you are. He's at the very back. So go ahead and stand up. That's Bill right there. Uh, you, really, stand up. You couldn't see it at home, but he committed to like two inches of standing up. So that was like, there we go. There we go. With all your heart, not just, you know, the letter of the law, dag nabbit. Anyway. Today, we are diving back into John's gospel. We have a lot to get to in a short amount of time, so I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 7. Since last week, we got to celebrate baptisms and child dedications, uh, we're kind of diving back into John, so let me remind you of where we've come from. Back in John chapter 6, you had Jesus doing a miraculous feeding of 5,000 people out in the wilderness. It was happening during the time of Passover. People began to make the connection. Wow, he's like the guy that Moses said would come, this prophet that would be like Moses. Maybe that's him. And then Jesus had to try to kind of stave off their attempts to force him to define his mission from a political standpoint. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way that my father's called me to do it. I'm not interested in letting you guys dictate what it's going to look like for me to be the redeemer and the restorer that God has sent me to be. And so Jesus almost has to kind of give him the forearm shiver and run up the hill and kind of try to protect his ministry from men and women who are so excited about what he can do for them. And now we come to John chapter 7. Six months have passed. It is now nearing a different festival. There were about seven feast days of the year that would give Jews a reason to travel up to Jerusalem to make a pilgrimage. This one happened to be the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's a time where they would remember traveling through the wilderness and the, the booths or the, 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 the thatch stick kind of shelters that they would make along the way and the way that God provided as he led them into Israel. It also coincided with the harvest at that time. We'll get a little bit deeper into what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about next week. But for today, I simply want to zero in on an interaction that Jesus has with his brothers. And yes, for those of you who, who may not be aware, Jesus actually had siblings. I guess they were half-brothers since it, Mary was their mother, Joseph was their father, rather than it being kind of a divine pregnancy. And so Jesus' half-brothers and he 
have a little bit of conflict in this passage that we're going to see. And, and let me be the first to say, I actually find a lot of comfort in the fact that the Bible is full of family dysfunction, um, it, particularly friction between brothers, because as a father of two sons, I, I keep waiting for my boys to like love to be together and, and, and stop bickering and competing and putting one another down. It's going to happen one day, Ethan. I believe it with all of my heart. But then I read scripture and I see brothers over and over and over behaving badly. Right? You've got Cain who gets jealous of his brother Abel and so he kills him. That's not permission. You've got um, Jacob who pretends to be his brother Esau in order to steal his blessing, to steal the blessing from his father, his birthright. You've got Joseph, who ticks his brothers off so much that they literally sell him into slavery, which is better than their first option, which was to kill him. They just sell him into slavery. That was better. And then you've got, why are you laughing? Not, I'm giving my boy ideas. And, and then you've got Jesus, right? Here's Jesus. His star is rising. People are beginning to whisper about him. Could this be the prophet that Moses told us about? Could he be the Messiah that we've been waiting all these centuries for? And then you've got Jesus' brothers who, when they begin to hear those whispers, they laugh. Jesus? Him? The Messiah? Ha! Forget it, right? And so, today what we're going to look at, look at is a very normal interaction between siblings, Jesus and his brothers. So in John chapter 7, verse 1, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go into Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. He's been stirring up so much trouble. He's been kind of uh, challenging the status quo so much that they're like, we're done with this guy. We just want to silence him. So they're looking for a reason, an excuse, and a way to silence Jesus altogether. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother, so Jesus is no longer in Jerusalem. He's up in Galilee, remember, which is where he had done the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus' brothers said to him, hey, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there might see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, like feeding a bunch of people and healing people, show yourself to the world. And we might go, wow, you know, they're being really encouraging of Jesus, except Verse 5 shows us that their motivation wasn't so, so upright. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. So what on earth are they doing? They don't think that he's anything special. They're probably irritated at all the attention their big brother is getting. They think that the talk of him being the prophet or coming from God is laughable because he's part of their family. They know him. He passes gas. He, you know, he, he smells from time to time. He was a human being. Come on, Jesus, whatever. And so they go, tell you what, Jesus, if you're such a big deal, then go to Jerusalem and show everybody, right? They're goading him on. I'm sure probably with the expectation that he would make a fool of himself and it would kind of silence a lot of that talk. So this was not upright and encouraging. Therefore, whoop, I, split, I skipped something. No, I didn't. Verse six, therefore, Jesus told them, hey guys, my time has not yet come. For you, any time will do. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify that his works are evil. 
You go to the festival. I'm not, I am not yet going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, just not publicly, but in secret. Now, I read that. I read Jesus basically saying to his brothers, guys, my time's not yet come. For, for you, any time will do, but this isn't my time. And what he's talking about there is not just going into public and the acclaim. He's talking about the time when he would enter into Jerusalem with the acclaim of the crowds and ultimately be raised up on a cross and give his life for us. That's what he's talking about his time being. And he goes, guys, that... They have no idea that that's what he has in mind, but he understands what's coming. And he's going, it's not time for that. That would come, by the way, six months later. Six months later at the next Passover festival, Jesus would enter into Jerusalem to the acclaim of the crowds as, as the crowds line the street and shout, Hosanna, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few short days later, he would leave Jerusalem dragging a cross and he would die on the hill of Golgotha for us. He has that in mind. His brothers aren't looking at that. They're just going, this guy is becoming too big for his britches, and we need to bring him down a few pegs. So I'm not yet going. Now, some of your Bibles might say, I'm not going to this festival. There's some question as to whether or not he says he's not going at all, or he's not yet going. And, and, and part of, some, one of the knocks against the Bible is people will point to this and say, Jesus lied. He said he wasn't going to the festival. And there's two ways of looking at this, neither of which actually undermines the trustworthiness of God's word or of Jesus himself. Either A, Jesus knew that it wasn't time for it, so he wasn't planning on going. And then later on, God says, you know what, you probably really should head out there. And so he goes anyway as an act of submission to his father. Or he's saying, hey, listen. You guys want me to enter into Jerusalem at the beginning of this festival. You want me to make a big public showing. You want me to kind of do some things externally that will kind of rile the crowds up. And, and he knows, probably make a fool of himself. That is not my plan. It's not yet my time. So I'm not going yet. And so then they head off. And then later on, Jesus goes, I do want to go. I do want to be there. And there was some interactions he's going to have that we'll look at next week. And so he ends up going anyway. But regardless of what really transpired here, Jesus is telling his brothers, I am not going to operate according to your time schedule. For you, any time works. In fact, for you, the best time is right now. But that's not how my father operates, and that's not how I'm going to operate. I am not going to just jump at your beck and call. And guys, the, the story continues, but for today, I want to lean just in on that point. The point that God's timing is not the same as our timing. That what, God, that what we want is not always going to happen when we want it. And this is a theme that has come up several times throughout John's gospel, where we've been reminded that Jesus operated at a different time. When his mom says, hey, I want you to turn water into wine, he goes, mom, it's not yet my time. You know, he has said time and again, it's not yet my time. He's constantly looking at the, t the moment that he would hang on the cross and fulfill all things. But until it's the right time, it's not time. And the reason I want us to zero in on this is because I think that we, as a people, struggle with waiting, right? 
And God obviously does not seem all that concerned with operating according to our schedule. In fact, time and time and time again in Scripture, we are reminded to wait. Let me just give you a smattering of the many verses about it. So can we throw, let's see, let's go ahead and start with uh, Psalm 27 up on the screen. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait on the Lord. Our strength comes from him. Or how about Romans 8, 23? We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so the, the Spirit is already in us, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So we have tasted the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And there's a part of us that yearns for the culmination of all things when there will no, be no more death, where cancer will no longer hold sway, where we don't have to worry about viruses. We look forward to that day, but we're not there yet. And so we groan inwardly, and yet we wait on the Lord. Let's look at one last one. We've got Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present broken age. I added broken in, but it's pretty much what it is. It's a, it's a broken, sin-warped time. So to live upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a people who find ourselves in the in-between times. Jesus has come. He's given his heart, his life for us. He's entrusted the Holy Spirit to us. We can have res uh, a relationship with God. And yet, we still live in the midst of a broken, fallen, sin-warped world. And there's a part of us that goes, this isn't how it should be. And in the midst of that, we wait. Now, Verses like that, of course, beg the question, well, how long do we have to wait? I mean, God, you're well aware of the brokenness of this. How much longer do we have to wait till you come back? And by the way, we're not the first generation to ask that question. Even Jesus' own disciples grappled with it because they fully anticipated that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. And they were watching as well-meaning Christ followers were dying to persecution, some of them dying to old age, far more of them were dying, by the way, to persecution. And they were going, how much longer do we have to wait? Why is he, why is he holding off on coming back? And in fact, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, explained why he believed that Jesus was not yet coming back in his second uh, letter. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, his pa he is patient with you, not wanting that anyone would perish, but everybody to come to repentance. In other words, I know it's confusing why Jesus has not yet returned. I know it's discouraging because people are dying left and right, and it feels like, is he ever going to come back? Just know that God is more patient than we are. Because his desire is not simply to get rid of pain. His desire is to restore his image bearers back to relationship with him. And there are still people who have not heard. There's still people today who have not yet heard, who have never held God's word in their own hands in a language they could understand. 
And so he's patient and he's waiting because he desires that people would come to know him. But let me be the first to admit that I don't like waiting for anything. My wife knows this very well, right? I don't like waiting for packages to, to be delivered. And, and you know what? I thought two-day delivery was good for a time. But now I don't even like waiting two days. I think I should get it to the next day. And you know what? If they can get it to me today, that would be even better. I don't like waiting for food. There's a reason why we invented microwaves and Instapots, right? The faster, the better. I don't like... Apparently, our society doesn't even like waiting for the facts to make decisions about what actually happened and why it matters. Because if you watch any news program, typically something happened, they tell you why it matters. We don't know the facts yet, but the facts don't really matter. Because how un-American is it to wait? And don't even get me started on traffic. My, I, I become, do you guys remember that old goofy movie, or that short cartoon, Mr. Wheeler and Mr. Walker, where when he's behind the wheel of the car, he becomes Mr. Wheeler and he's dangerous. And then when he's in, in real life, he's just the most gentle kind and guilty, right? We, oh, Jeannie, it, it's exciting. I, when people drive with me, I, I, I cause them to pray. And I feel like that that's my <laughs> contribution to the world. I don't like waiting. I suspect I'm in good company. Some of you are more patient than me. I, I, I respect that. I can't be that because that's just not the way that I am designed or whatever. But, but if there's one thing that I struggle to wait on the most, it's to wait on God. Because at least with Amazon, they tell me when I can expect my package. And even if it's going to be late, they let me know. At least with traffic, I've got a an app on my phone that tells me how much longer I'm going to have to wait in that traffic. With God, it's simply wait. And that's really, really hard. I don't like waiting with, with, with an open-ended how long do I have to be in this posture. I don't like it at all. Um, do you guys remember that movie Click? It was an Adam Sandler movie like 10, 15 years ago. For those of you who haven't seen it, the premise of the movie is Adam Sandler's character goes into Bed Bath & Beyond and he finds that the Beyond section is actually there. And in the Beyond section of the Bed Bath & Beyond, he meets a guy who gives him a, a, um, a, a remote control. But the remote control doesn't control his television, it controls time. And what he finds is that he is able to fast forward past the, pa the parts of life that are uncomfortable. In traffic, no problem, hit fast forward. Kids are bickering, no problem, hit fast forward. Wife is telling you for the 14th time the same thing in a different way because she's really wanting you to get it, no problem, fast forward, right? And before long, he has fast forwarded past his entire life. And he comes to the end of it and realizes he's missed out on everything that mattered. He's missed out on watching his children grow from children to adults. He's missed out on the ebb and flow that is marriage. He's missed out on living. I was thinking this week, like, what would, what would I fast forward past if I had the ability to carry that remote control around with me? One of the things that I would obviously like to use it on is when I encounter traffic. I mean, let me just point this out. I have chosen to live within a block of the church so that I don't need to sit in traffic. Some of you who drive a long distance and are on the freeway, God bless you. 
I don't understand you, but I'm glad that we have Jesus in common because there's not much else. If, if I find myself in traffic, and maybe I'm not the only one, but even if I am, I embrace this. I start dreaming about being able to pull off and there being like Star Trek-like uh, beam pads where you can drive your vehicle on and it will beam you to wherever you're going. If they had those, I would pay whatever it costs to get there. And yet, every summer, my family, we do a road trip. Because, and here's what I've learned over the course of that time. One, there's a whole lot more traffic in L.A. in this region than there is in the rest of the country, which is why it's fun to go there. But two, and more importantly to our conversation this morning, is that the adventure's not simply in the destination that you're trying to get to. The adventure's actually in the journey. Because so many of the memorable moments on a road trip don't happen when we finally arrived at our destination. They happen along the way. Like when your alternator goes out and you get to watch as God kind of shows up over 24 hours and brings people into your life that you never would have anticipated interacting with. It happens along the way when you see something on the side of the road and you're like, we got to go check that out. It happens in the conversations in your vehicle. That just naturally happened because you got nowhere else to be and the kids' iPads have died, right? So, so the adventure is in the journey. And this holds equally true, by the way, for our journey of following Jesus through life. Because even though sometimes it feels like all Jesus died to do is to, to kind of rescue us out of hell... And to give up, to change our trajectory, to kind of reestablish our relationship with God, that's not all he died to do. He also gave his life to restore us back to the original purpose for which we were created. Namely, to reflect his heart, to be his ambassadors of hope into a sin-scarred world. To people who are wandering around pretty hopeless and desperately in need of the hope that we have found in him. That's also what he redeemed us back to. But in order for us to experience that, we need to be shaped in his image. Otherwise, we are going to do a very poor job of reflecting his heart to the world. And so Jesus' invitation was never pray a prayer and you can get out of here. Right? Because if his goal was simply to save us out of the brokenness of this world and to save us from the brokenness of sin, he could beam us into heaven the moment we say yes to him. And he chooses not to do that. Instead, his invitation was follow me. Walk with me. Learn from me. Be shaped by our proximity as we stumble along the broken path that is your life that has been laid out for you. Trust me in every way. Because as we walk with him, our humanity slowly gets kind of peeled away like the, the, the edges on rocks as they're in a rock tumbler. As we are in proximity to him and do life with him and keep our eyes fixed on him through the moments where we feel like our world is ending and everything we've known is unraveling, that is when we realize you really are trustworthy. And then we have that to be able to offer to the next person that we meet that's in the midst of their own personal valley of despair. And so, although we are all very destination-focused, I want to get to heaven, 
The truth of the matter is he has invited us to be with him and to wait in the midst of this world and to walk with him and be shaped by him. If I'm honest with you, there's a whole lot of you in this room and some of you who are watching that I want my life to reflect. I want to be like you when I grow up. Ben, Merv, I want to be the kind of guy that even in my 80s continues to love on and serve. I'm sorry, even in my 90s continues to love on and serve. They do it every week. Pearl, I know you're watching from home. I want to have the kind of faith that you have modeled for me, that in the midst of times where you don't even know if you're going to ever leave the hospital, you still have a smile on your faith, and you are still encouraging people with texts. Tony, I want to be like you when I grow up. I want to continue to pour into people and be willing to serve for as long as I have. There are so many of you. Wendy, you're another one. I, I just want to emulate. I want to be like you, but here's what I've realized. You are not that way because you were born that way. You are the way you are because of the long journey of obedience in the same direction. You are the way you are because of the decades of faithfully following your master. You're you, you, you reek of Jesus because you're covered in the dust that his sandals have kicked up as you've mo modeled your life off of him. You haven't done it perfectly. You still don't do it perfectly, and that's okay. And yet, I want to be like you when I grow up. And the reminder for me is that the destination is not what Jesus calls us to. He also calls us to follow him in the midst of the journey because it's in the journey that we're shaped into his image so that we can reflect his heart into the world that desperately needs the hope that we found in him. And for those of you who are doing that, those of you who have kept your eyes fixed on him in the midst of a very difficult season, I'm grateful for the example that you set, not just for those of us in this church, but for those in your sphere of influence who are watching your lives, because they're watching your lives. Another thing that I would probably uh, love to fast forward past is suffering, right? Pain is something I don't like. I, I had the joy of getting to play soccer for the first time since sixth grade on Friday. I'm dealing with the pain of that today. I wake up and every single muscle that I didn't even remember I had is reminding me that they're there. And the Tylenol, quite honestly, is not cutting it right now. And that's just a, a, a small pain. There are some of you here who are dealing with cancer, some of you who are dealing with heartache as, as your marriages that matter to you have disintegrated, as life as you expected it doesn't look the way you expected it to look, as plans that you had made have crumbled before your eyes and you begin to ask yourself, why have I put all that effort into it? Pain is a very, very real thing. And there's a part of me that goes, God, why do we have to suffer? How long do we have to suffer? When are you going to take this pain away? When are you going to dry every eye? And then I think of the way that I'm raising my sons. Because the truth of the matter is, as my sons are getting older, I am more comfortable with allowing them to be uncomfortable. I am more comfortable with allowing them to have to sit in the messiness of life 
and in the messiness that they have created in some ways. I'm okay with them sitting with that because how else are they going to grow and learn how to deal with that? How else are they going to learn how to be an adult who can handle it so that they won't be a 35-year-old living at home? That's my selfish desire is I would help them to become adults so they can move out. Just kidding. But if that's how I'm raising my sons so that they can learn how to be responsible so that they can learn how to be more mature, so they can learn how to take ownership, how they can learn just how unbelievably capable they truly are, then why would I turn around and look at God when I'm in the midst of my own suffering and go, why? Why would you let this happen? Because the truth is God loves us even more than I love my own sons, and I love my sons tremendously. He loves us even more. Why would we begrudge the fact that he allows us to have to sit in the messiness so that we have to fix our eyes back on him? And I go right back to what Paul said when he acknowledged this thorn that he had in his flesh. And he said, you know, I have prayed over and over and over. God, take this thorn. Some people think it was his eyesight was going. God, why? Take this thorn away from my flesh. You have the ability. You've, you've given sight back to blind people. You could give me my sight immediately. Why are you allowing me to suffer? You remember how God responded to him? My, my power is made perfect in weakness, so my answer to your request is no. God loved Paul enough to allow him to have to coexist with pain, at least while he continued to walk around in that mortal, imperfect body. And we look forward to the day when that'll no longer be the case. But do we trust him enough to keep our eyes fixed on him even when our bodies are breaking down or our hearts are breaking? Another thing that I would love to fast forward past is the evil that I see rampant in our world. Guys, every day we wake up, if we spend any time surfing any news channel or any news site, we are reminded daily of the brokenness of this world and the evil that exists and the ways in which people hurt other people, sometimes for no reason whatsoever. And we go, gosh, God, why do you allow this to happen? And I, I actually find solace in Psalm 37. Can we throw that up there on the screen? We don't have it, do we? All right, I'm just going to read it. I love uh, this psalm. Psalm 37, verses 7 through 13 here. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. I think that there are some of us who need to be reminded that all of our agitation and all of our, you know, wanting to, to throw rocks at people and get them to wake up and all of our anger that has been consuming us is not actually the posture that God has asked us to take in the midst of watching evil seemingly prevail. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret it leads only to evil. 
for those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Although you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. They bare their teeth like a dog does at another dog. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. So, evil will not always prevail. There is a day coming when they will be exposed, when their schemes will fall apart, where truth and goodness will prevail and, and the world will be restored, and we look forward to that day. But dang it, why do we have to wait for it? God, why do we have to wait? Why, why on earth do you allow this to continue to happen? And I know that there are probably some of you in here this morning that are uncomfortable with me even voicing questions like that, as if it's dishonoring to God or, or is a sign of a lack of faith. And quite honestly, I think a, we, a lot of times we approach God in that way, particularly when we pray, that we have to put on a happy face even though our heart is aching. But the truth is, if there's one thing that the Bible reminds us time and time again, is that it is okay to feel deeply, and it is okay to ask very, very difficult questions of God. In fact, there's an entire genre called lament. There's a word that is very biblical called lament. It is the act of asking our questions to God and pouring out our heart, even when those, that heart is bitter and broken and downcast. And I think a lot of us are uncomfortable doing that. There's a reason why last year, right after Easter, we spent like six weeks unpacking lament, because we don't do it well. I think part of that is because we have bought into the belief that to voice those kind of things is to show that we don't really trust God. Or that we have a lack of faith. And I would suggest that lament is just the opposite. It is a sign of deep faith. I think the best definition I've read for what lament is, is lament is the language of the weary faithful. I want to say that again. Lament is the language of the weary faithful. Yes, we're weary of the brokenness of this world. Yes, we are weary of watching people who are clearly abusing their positions of authority for their own good and seeing them succeed. We are tired and weary of the people we love hurting. We are tired of hurting ourselves. And we lament because we know, that because we trust that our God is big enough to handle the full range of our emotions. We trust that he's a big enough God to handle our questions. Not only that, we trust that he's a big enough God that he can actually do something about them so it does some good to voice them. That is why we voice them. And by the way, scripture is full of examples of very faithful men and women lamenting to God. 
Just take the Psalms as an example. The Psalms are like recorded prayers or songs of praise to God. But if you actually read through the Psalms, here's what you'll find. 70% of the Psalms, 7 out of every 10 Psalms, contain some element of lament in them. Compare that, by the way, to the songs that we sing on Sundays. A whole lot less than 7 out of 10 of them contain some element of God why or God how long one of the songs that really stood out to me this morning was blessed be your name you know on the road marked with suffering though there's pain in the offering blessed be your name the reason that stands out to me the first time I ever heard that song is when I was at the funeral for my youth pastor who died when he was 40 years old widowing his wife and leaving his very small daughter without a dad And I heard that song that says, I'm going to bless you when the sun is shining, and I'm going to bless your name when it's raining on me. So it stands out to me. But i got to be honest. Most of our worship isn't really all that honest. Because we are suffering and we feel deeply, but most of our worship puts a veneer of joy over it. And I would simply remind us, it is okay to lament. But here's a very interesting thing about lament, and I'm I'm just going to wrap it up in just a couple of minutes. But here's a really interesting thing about lament, and about the kind of questions that those who lament in Scripture ask. Very seldom do they ask the question, why? It's almost like they understood we live in a broken world. We understood that evil will, does prevail from time to time. We realize that this is what we get for living in a world that has been twisted by sin. In a world that has in many ways gone off the rails. Even though God still is in it and, his, and he still calls us to be change agents that reflect his heart. This world is still under the sway of an enemy who loves to see it go sideways and loves to see God's image bearers lose heart. So they very seldom ask the question, why? Instead, the question that they typically ask is, how long? Let me just give you three examples. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't hear? Or cry out to you, violence! But you do not save. Psalm 6, verse 3. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Or my particular favorite, probably one of my top favorite psalms in all of Scripture, Psalm 13. In fact, I'm going to invite you to turn there. It's the last place we're going to look in the Bible this morning. Psalm 13, it's about a third of the way through, if you're just kind of flipping. And and by the way, let me just say, if you don't own a Bible, there's some in the seat back in front of you. That is our gift to you. Please take it home with you. Please make it your own. Write your name in the front. Underline things that stand out to you. Journal in the margins. We have plenty of extras. Psalm 13, this is written by David, a man after God's own heart. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? 
How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemies will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I love that psalm because of its honesty. Because it doesn't sugarcoat the fact that he's going, God, I'm so tired of suffering. I'm so tired of evil people seemingly succeeding. I'm so tired of crying out to you, please, don't you see this need? Would you please address this need? And not having you address it. So how long? It's a fair question. And unlike Amazon, unlike my MapQuest you know, app, it doesn't give me an indication of how long. And one of the things I really love about this psalm, however, is it returns back at the very end. Even though it is almost 100% lament, he kind of ends it with a reminder to us, but mostly to himself, I'm pretty sure, that I trust you. I trust you. Even in the midst of this deep, dark valley I find myself in, I trust you because you've been faithful to me time and time again. So I trust you will be faithful to me again. But how long? So Lighthouse family, may you be reminded that it is okay to be honest with God. Prayer is not a time to be good. It's a time to be honest. It's a time to peel away the, the smile that you hide behind throughout the rest of the week and bring your emotions just as you are. Come just as you are. Your God, your Father loves you and he is a big enough father to handle whatever it is you're carrying. So if you're bummed, let him know that. He already knows it. Bring him whatever is in there. And you, you might find that as you dig past all of the hurt and disappointment and discouragement, you'll find that there's still some faith in there. Deep down, buried underneath it. So it's okay to voice your complaints. It is okay to lament it is okay to ask how long. It's even okay to ask why. But may I simply remind you that sometimes when you ask how long or if you ask God, come on, can we please just be prepared that his answer to you might be wait. And as you wait, may you keep your eyes fixed on him and may you trust him May we be the kind of people who trust him so much that although we are uncomfortable in the place that we find ourselves, maybe the circumstances of your job or your home life or your school or your relationship in your marriage or your dating relationship or your singleness or your desire to be a parent or the fact that you are a parent and you're designed to not be a parent, whatever it happens to be, wherever you are, to wait in that discomfort and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. May you remember and watch the ways in which he endured the cross, was willing to walk into that pain so that we 
who are enduring pain will not grow weary or lose heart. And last point as the worship team comes forward. May you trust God enough to not try to blow a hole through a wall where you think a door should be. May you wait on the Lord and let things fall into place rather than try to force things and watch them fall apart. That's the invitation for all of us. Father God, we come before you as imperfect people, living in an imperfect world, surrounded by other imperfect people. And we say, Father, it, the world is not how we want it to be. Our lives don't, aren't even the way we might not want them to be. And yet we trust you in the midst of it. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We ask you, although the cry of our heart is how long, how much longer do we have to wait? How much longer until you make things right? We trust you in the midst of those questions. And we choose to follow you even if you lead us through a dark valley, even if you invite us out of our comfort zone, even if you lead us to do something that seems so contrary to what the world says we should do. We trust you. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name.
into before I get to it just want to remind you if you have a prayer request that you have carried in with you or you've got one at home if you're here there's some cards in the seat back in front of you if you're visiting us when you can let us know you're here if you got a prayer request you can go ahead and fill that out and drop them in the white boxes at the back we're not passing any plates or anything in here right now um, if you're at home you can just email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com because we love to pray throughout the week for the needs that you let us know about. We also sometimes pray for those things that we don't know about because we realize there's a ton of them. But we'd love to know what you're carrying so we can carry it with you. That's what family does. Secondly, if you feel compelled to give, if this is your home church and you want to tithe, or if you just, you know, you're visiting but you want to give, that's fine. You can do so either at our website, lighthousecommunity.com. You can give online. Or if you have something you want to give, you can drop them in the white boxes in the back. Now, we get to kind of join in a, a family thing that is both joyful but is also kind of bitter in the sense that we recognize that everything we have, everything is a gift from God. Every breath, every moment, everything. And all of those gifts that we have are entrusted to us from God and we as his image bearers kind of turn them all back around and say, God, help yourself to my life. What do you want to use, whether it's my, my hopes and my dreams or even my pain? How do you want to use it? And I would say, as a church, God has blessed us tremendously. We've got a team who runs the tech up there. I wouldn't have a clue how to turn any of this on. I've got a team of worshipers who lead us into worship by being worshipers themselves. But perhaps the single greatest gift and resource that we have as a church is you is us, is the family that is Lighthouse Community. And we never grip hold of any of you as if we own you and that you have to stay here forever. We always, like everything we have, hold it loosely and say, as long as God has called you to be here, we celebrate it. And when God calls you elsewhere, we celebrate that as well. And we want to be able to bless you in that. And today is a bittersweet moment because we get to do that with a family that I've gotten the chance to, to walk with for the last decade. They've been a, a key part of our church. And they've just been blessed with the how long until we can have a home of our own that we can. They've been blessed to be able to buy one. It just doesn't happen to be in Costa Mesa. 
which is sad to me because our kids have grown up together. But I'm going to invite the stacks forward. Today is probably the last day for a while that we're going to be able to worship together in this building with them because they are preparing to move out to Riverside at the end of the month. It's exciting. And, and, and it's scary because, you know, there's questions about where are we going to land? What's our community going to look like? Are we, where are we going to go to church? Who are, our, who are these young men? They're not boys anymore. Come on. Um, who are going to be their friends? Who's going to be blessed to have you guys in their life? And they will be blessed. And there's a lot of questions. Actually, can I, can I steal one of your... I'd love, David or Teresa, for you, if you want to just share some of the ways that we can be praying for you right now before we actually pray for you. Well, first of all, thank you. This is where we found Jesus. <laughs> we're going to be uh, but we know we're, we're, we're not going anywhere because we're all still in the same family. And we, we, we learned that here. Our boys got the word of God in their hearts. to this church um, when this guy was an infant and many of you have um, helped us raise them very much um, them and our daughter who's 20 and off doing her her thing and we've all been a, a family here you guys embraced us and invited us in and uh, my first time here was sitting over there at a conference that you guys held years ago called the princess and the frog because marriage is hard and life is hard and you aren't necessarily told that um, often and I came here and you guys taught me what it was to be a godly godly woman you guys taught me what it was to try to have a godly marriage we didn't know that that was a thing quite honestly I thought we did but we didn't and I've cried there. I've really cried over here a lot. I've cried there. I've cried there. And um, we cry. And you guys have come along and you've embraced us and cried with us and prayed with us. And there have been so many times where we've been able to just smile and laugh and sing in this church. And you guys have shared that with us too. So thank you for praying with us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for never giving up on our family, because um, I truly believe that God is leading us into a new chapter, and I'm very excited about it. Amen. So, so I know, I know COVID and all that. We 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 don't typically get close to one another, but honestly, it would not feel like yeah, we're family. And so, for those of you who are comfortable, I know that they have said that they're comfortable. I'm going to ask them to just come down here. We're going to, for those of you who are comfortable. We're going to form a mosh pit around them. We're going to extend hands. We're going to pray over them. We're going to, we call this Korean style. We're just going to all pray out loud at the same time. God makes sense of it all. So why don't you guys come right down there, right down in the middle, because we want to get around you. You guys are welcome to come up on the stage, too. It's not like sanctified ground up here. 
All right, let's pray. Father, I am always humbled by the blessing of the people that you invite us to get to do life with. I'm grateful for the journey that uh, the stacks have had here with us, for the ways that they leave fingerprints here. I'm grateful that this family has been like rocks in the rock tumbler that is Lighthouse, and I am more polished because of my relationship with them. I'm grateful for the gift that they've been in our family. They will continue to be family, but now as we get ready to bless another community with the best of what we have, we pray that you would go ahead of them. I know you're already there, but I pray that you would prepare the soil that you are planting them in. I pray for the neighbors who have no idea how blessed they're going to be to have this family in their midst. I pray for deep, lifelong friendships for these boys as they get plugged into school and make connections. I pray that they would be a blessing and I pray that you would bless them with friendships. I pray for the relationships for David and Teresa, couples to come alongside of them, people like they've had here who are decades older that can give wisdom and those who are decades younger that can learn from the wisdom that they've gleaned, and then some of those that are kind of in the same life stage who can walk with them and just commiserate so they can have shoulders to lean on. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go into the walls of their home right now and clear it out of anything that is not of you. Would you sanctify that holy ground so that as they move into it, you would already be there and you would already be working. I pray for your provision. I pray for your protection. And I pray that you would use them to advance your kingdom there where you have called them to go in this next season of their life. And I pray for the rest of our family who continues to hold them up, but also who are ourselves on our own journey. We hold our lives out and say, Father, help yourself to our lives. Your will be done. If you are calling us to stay, then may we stay and pour all of what we have into loving the sphere of influence that you've called us into. And if you are calling us to go, would you make that clear so that we would not go out of an attempt to escape anything, but rather we would go because we are called. And I pray that you, again, would open and close doors according to your will so that you get the glory and your kingdom advances and that your image bearers who have been so weighed down with the weight of this world that they can't even see the light, would that we could help join you in lifting some of the weight off so they can get a glimpse of you and begin to follow you and find their hope in you like that we have found it in you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. 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 Have a wonderful week. We love you all.